Before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Kamalis Wadi who is essentially a bold and strategic thinker in digital and business transformation. He's actually wrote a book which is the human side of digital business transformation. So business, technology and how we can still be human within all of that. So Kamalis, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure to be here. So I want to start essentially with how we as people are adapting to technology and I wonder if you can share some insight into how technology shifted over these past five maybe ten years and what have we done to cope with that? I think that's such an interesting area to have a discussion on because what we've seen over the last I would say two decades more or less is the um, ability for technology and the development of technology to trigger changes in human behavior. And if you think back to perhaps the times before we had mobile devices, right, before the mobile phone uh, was adopted across the globe, um, the way people behaved was quite different. The way we interacted, the way we communicated with one another, the kinds of communications that we shared and we felt comfortable sharing, that's shifted completely. Once we had this mobile device, which became kind of a additional appendage, right? We became so connected to this new mobile tool that um, allows us to connect anywhere, anytime. Um, And this was then accelerated further by social technologies where you had now the ability not only to connect with people you know on your mobile device, but people that you don't know across the globe, anywhere, anytime, anyone technology. And this has created a shift in human behavior. And this shift in human behavior has triggered changes across the globe in terms of the types of technologies that are subsequently developed, the types of businesses and the way businesses interact with human beings, as well as, you know, regulation and um, the economy in general. I think these shifts have been so impactful over the last decade. Um, And what has happened as well is, the technology development, the rate of development has accelerated at such a speed. We see breakthrough tech coming out almost on a daily basis. New solutions, new ways of using technology. COVID accelerated that further. We are now at a, at a stage where people are adopting technology even faster than they can be produced almost. And so these types of um, accelerations have created a new generation of people, not necessarily relating to the age or you know the the gender or culture but a new generation of digitally savvy people who adopt technology so quickly and easily and these things are completely changing the way we do business and the way we interact with one another what i would be curious about as well is what are we actually doing as people with technology speeding up is there anything that you found that we are doing as humans when technology starts to take off. You mentioned the increased adoption, which I find quite interesting as someone that didn't grow up with technology, how fast the younger generation are actually adopting the changes, which is fascinating. What else are we doing in terms of people? Maybe it's a personality that's brewing now. People are changing who they are when technology kicks in. What kinds of things have you seen? 
I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because I'm also from the Generation X. Um, we grew up at a time, it's hard to remember now, but we grew up in a time when <laughs> we didn't have mobile devices, right? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> the no. iPhones didn't exist. Uh, the internet didn't exist. And it, it's really uh, it's really quite funny when I have conversations with my 12-year-old um, who cannot imagine a time when the internet didn't exist, right? If I talk to her about how we did schoolwork and how we, we you know, did research, it was going to the library to find a book to do research on a topic, which, you know, it's completely uh, a concept that doesn't exist today. So I find this quite um, interesting when we talk about what kinds of behaviors have shifted or the kinds of outcomes that we see in human behaviors. One outcome that, you know, you could call positive or negative depends on your view is this instant gratification. We have become a generation of people that are looking for this instantaneous response to everything that we do, to anything that we post. And we are almost chasing this instant gratification. I post something online. I'd like to see my 10 views, 1,000 views, 10 million views, whatever it is. And it is fairly simple to get those reactions and those views. And we see people starting to look for this sort of instant gratification across different areas of their life. The attention span is also shifting. If you look at channels like Instagram and TikTok, you know, they have these reels that run through the speed at which we consume content. It just runs through so quickly. And people are actually utilizing this sort of channels uh, in quite an incredible way. If I just look at the number of people who are sharing financial and wealth building information, trading information, you know, these types of things, how do you create a new uh, revenue source? Um, and it runs through in like 60 second videos and you can, you know, it, it has forced people to create content that generates value, but in short bursts and allows us to consume that information in short bursts. All of these things have triggered uh, changes in human behavior, but it's also triggered a change in the way we interact with the traditional things, right? How do we, do we even watch television anymore? You know, the traditional broadcast channels don't allow us to consume content the way we would on Netflix. As much as we want, whenever we want, uh, however many episodes we want, that doesn't exist on traditional uh, interactions. And so this is really something that's shifted our behavior patterns, and it's impacting the way we engage with traditional companies as well, traditional brands. Yeah, I've I've actually always, I think for a long time now, I listen to things like podcasts and audio books on the max speed that the app will allow. So I think um, iTunes podcast is about two or two and a half speed, but I'm quite happy when Spotify allows me to go three and a half times speed and I can still pinpoint, I still get the gist of what they're talking about. My girlfriend hates it, by the way, because she can't understand any of it. And I, I think that's, that's like an adaptation in a way because mm -hmm. when you do things at that speed you miss out the things that don't matter when your head naturally focuses on the things that do and it kind of picks your attention a little bit and something happens that that makes you focus and concentrate and i think what you mentioned about tiktok is interesting because people can spend hours on it consuming 15 30 second 60 second videos it actually makes me think well is it attention span or is it about quality? Because I would scroll and miss a video after the few seconds if it was boring. 
but yet something that I'm fascinated with, I could sit and watch for hours. And I think that that's how I see myself shifting. And yeah, my attention span disappears if it's boring. So that, and, and that you know, might this, be playing into it a bit. If, if I just could add to that as well, Michael, I think it is putting and, you know, we, we now exist in an extremely noisy, crowded digital space. And it puts a lot of pressure on not just content creators, but brands that want to engage with their customer base. It puts a lot of pressure on them to capture that attention and retain that attention. It's not so easy anymore. And you have the competition base on how much you can capture the attention of your customers. It's completely broadened. You're not just competing against other brands that are on these channels, but you're competing against individuals, small businesses. And the more creative and the more kind of engaging people get those limited attentions. So it it, it has, in a way, it's a good thing because we're kind of forcing traditional companies to do things in a different way and challenge themselves and come out of this traditional marketing engagement uh, spiel that they used to have, right, from the 50s and 60s, which didn't really change much over the years. And so I, I find that quite um, fascinating to observe, to be honest. Um, and, you know, you mentioned audiobooks. I can just share a quick uh, experience. I read the book um, Snow Crash in the late 90s. And it was a physical, you know, um, a physical book that I read. And recently, the last couple of weeks, I heard the audiobook. Um, the same book, but I, I wanted to kind of reread it, right? And so I, I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks now, and I heard it as an audiobook. The experience was just completely different, mm, right? It was familiar, yeah. but immersive to a certain extent, because there's now this kind of sounds and, and elements, you know, being read to me, the different sort of voices. And I found that so exciting to have this kind of shift, right? Something from the old days that could now be refreshed and it's an, almost a new experience for me. It's interesting how we're naturally adapting and then the speed of it makes me think, is it natural? Are they just growing quicker than we would expect? And what kinds of things do you see emerging like with AI and robotics and all these things that are appearing now? I found that, well, a couple of things for myself anyway, I'm able to do research a lot quicker and it frees my mental brain up to do other things, like mentally. So I'm more creative, I'm more expressive, I've got a very different tolerance to things like stress levels and, and things like that. It's causing a shift in where I focus because technology is able to do everything else. Is that what you're seeing as well? And do you, you think it's something that's impacting companies in a positive way or a negative way? Um, I'm observing a spectrum of things, right? So for sure, the experience that you shared in terms of, um, you know, these sort of technologies and tools um, allowing us to take away a lot of the redundant, repetitive work out of, you know, our kind of um, mental um, stress and requirements, right? We can push all of that into something that's automated, digital, more efficient and effective. We can concentrate on uh, complex topics, on topics that require more human interaction, more emotional contribution. I think this is exciting. It's created a whole new platform for people in business as well. Um, I've also observed people 
um, utilizing these technologies in a way where they're starting to talk about replacing that human capability with these technologies. And a lot of times, ironically, these conversations are coming from business leaders who are very focused on kind of financial outcomes and quick wins to, to what they want to achieve within you know the short time frames. Um, I don't believe in technology ever replacing people, but I do believe that there might be a danger of it going in that direction simply because of how it's being utilized. Um, I think there's a need for, you know, we, we've seen this kind of transition or evolution process where technology came to a point where it was supporting the way we do things. Now, if you think about a farmer first doing everything by hand manually, and then going into uh, farming that, you know, with machinery and uh, being able to do things a lot more efficiently with the machinery that they had, right? Um, so people and machines working side by side. And now we are heading into an environment where we're seeing technology um, really becoming integrated with the way we do things, a lot more integrated. Um, if, if, you know, and I do see this with myself as well, I'm very guilty if I leave my phone somewhere or if I forget, I really do because I'm always connected to my mobile phone. <laughs> but if I do leave it somewhere, I tend to stop and think something's missing, right? And I'm sure lots of people have the same experience, yeah. like something's yeah. missing, what's missing, right? And so we become so integrated with our technology and our, our you know, tech solutions. We're heading into a state where Convergence might happen as well. And convergence is actually happening. We're seeing 3D printing, for example, printing um, human parts, body parts, to support people with transplant, for example. Uh, we're seeing, you know, um, kind of um, technology being utilized to augment our sight, uh, our hearing, uh, our taste. So there's haptic technology, for example, that allows us to feel one another through the internet. So I think there's a lot of uh, different kind of convergence happening, some positive, some not necessarily so. So we are heading into that kind of, um, you know, where this technology is going to end up, how much we're going to allow it to integrate into our lives and our beings. This is an open question. And I think it's left up to every individual to decide how they're going to utilize that. Um, within business, though, I do see a huge potential for technology just transforming industries. And I, as a technology optimist, I believe this is the, the direction we need to be going in. We're looking at uh, robotic systems that are optimizing processes. We're looking at um, creating you know, digital twins, 3D printing, and all of these kinds of elements that allow increased efficiency. It also allows for exponential growth and scale. Um, and it allows for hyper-personalized experiences that are low cost. And, you know, all of these create not only value for the companies, but also value for the individuals that are utilizing those brands and services. I wonder if that's going to be one of the main motivations for companies. If it benefits the customer and they balance out things like, you know, cost of doing the thing that they want to do and if that gets cheap enough then obviously they can do it quicker more efficient cheaper there's no end to the benefit in terms of the company I wonder what jobs and leadership leadership positions would be left if technology did all of those things would it literally be board members and then AI and robotics would take over everything else is that a good thing, do you think? I mean, I, I would say that it is, but then the consequences of that would go far beyond just the company. Like, what would these people do if there were no jobs available for them? I don't mean 
in the interim, I mean when things get scary, when we don't need drivers, we don't need teachers, we don't need workers, we don't need things that are based on how productive are you. We need things based on how do you think, how do you feel, what ideas do you come up with, how are you able to organize all of that and manage it and balance everything and all the things that AI might get to, but I wonder how long that would take. So I'm I'm a bit of an optimist in terms of where it's going. I'm not so sure we would get to a point when it replaces everything because then people would be afraid of what would they do with their time and hopefully in our ideal world we'd survive thrive grow prosper without having to physically do anything as as a human species should we have to work to prosper i'm not so sure whether we should anymore we could i'm sure we could we, we have done for for hundreds and thousands of years now but do you think that we'll ever get to a point where we could safely justify not working anymore because of technology getting to that point I, I hear you and you know I think the the human beings are creatures that you know we need to find meaning in what we do right so um it, and what we have what we have today really is a landscape where people have fallen into this kind of almost robotic repeated day-to-day uh, -day work and what we did get during the coronavirus pandemic during the lockdown time was a global realization that that wasn't enough. We needed more. So we're seeing this shift in, in human behavior and focus towards finding meaning in the work that we do, uh, finding higher purpose, and also trying to um, create something bigger than us, something that contributes to, to the values of the world, um, particularly with the, the generation after us, right? So the, the, gen, the millennials, the Gen Zs, and, and the alpha generation, we do see this very strong um, falling back on human values that they are kind of demanding from organizations, from businesses, um, and options are available to them. If they don't like working for an organization because the values don't align, there's options to go out and start your own online business and generate revenue that way. Um, what I find quite interesting, though, the question that you ask around, you know, is there ever going to be a time when organizations wouldn't need leadership teams or wouldn't need people? Um, I believe that there are, you know, I've seen examples of decentralized autonomous organizations, uh, you know, quite a few of them exist for uh, cryptocurrency and, and kind of digital asset management and so on, where you have um, blockchain based systems set organizations set up and smart contracts and, and kind of systems built that automate decisions, automate um, how funds are invested and things like that. And, you know, hundreds of millions in terms of investments that go into this uh, decentralized organization. So the concept around, do we need leadership teams? Do we need board members? Do we need people in an organization? That concept exists and has worked. The concept around, can we replace people uh, or a majority of people? There are factories in, in China, for example, that are run 80% uh, by machines. And they have proven to be significantly more productive with less errors in terms of the produce that the products that they're producing. So those concepts exist and have been proven successful. The question is then, and we're seeing this as well, you know, with ChatGPT and all these platforms coming out, lots of questions around uh, can we replace human uh, workers with these systems? I believe yes, but should we is the question. And my personal view is no, because these systems are not built 
to make the ethical decisions, right? And you can argue perhaps, you know, there are lots of companies today with leadership teams that aren't making ethical decisions anyway. <laughs> so, you know, so what's the difference? But uh, perhaps machines might be able, we could build ethics in. Yes, that's true. Um, but, I, you know, there's this, this human element, the human connection. And my belief is organizations of today need an overhaul of leadership anyway. They need an overhaul of how, um, you know, C-levels and board members are leading companies and leading people. This has to change. But whether that means replacing them with machines, that I doubt. We are still seeing challenges with, particularly not with the systems that exist today. You know, there are AI-based systems that have, you know, they're like a black box. You don't even fully understand how these generative AI systems make decisions, how they use data. And it's interesting to see that many of these systems, as advanced as they are, like Midjourney, that can produce such beautiful imagery and content, is still plagued by bias, right? The system still has bias. Uh, so if you type in, for example, imagine an image of a doctor, it produces images just of men. Um, and so this is quite an, an interesting um, kind of direction that we're heading in. There could be a potential for machines to take over more. But should they, I think there always needs to be this human element for ethics and for diversity and for um, the human values that need to be built in. I actually feel quite sorry for the engineer that's in charge of maintaining the technology. If we're able to run everything on technology, there's always going to be one person that will go in if it breaks and tries to fix it. And they'll be the only person with a job. Where you picture everyone else is happy, you get everything that they want, maybe universal basic income comes in and no one really needs to, to work as much as they used to. And there's always one guy, one guy that is on call 24-7 in, in case someone kicks the plug out and someone has to go and, and put it back in. It, it, it's a weird thing was someone somewhere will need to be called upon to do the thing that technology can't do even if you know they put a robot in a suit and sail up and something breaks you have to go and figure out what's wrong determine what the solution is and, and fix it i think when robots can start to solve salute to solve solutions when robots can solve problems and fix them without any human interaction when they can start to essentially fix themselves that then things start to get a bit strange in the way that we'd govern ourselves as well mm -hmm. because everything would be automated we'd never touch anything you mentioned that some of the technology you don't really know how it works as you said some of it is just a black box that does what you want it to do it's interesting when you bring up things like bias as well because i still think that a lot of technology is still programmed by humans and therefore susceptible to the way that that person thinks and feels. So the person that created the technology will likely have to program it, determine its rules, regulations, its philosophies on life, and, you know, would you kill five people to save ten? Those mm -hmm. kinds of problems. It's then built with the person in mind, essentially just replicating them in a way. So what kind of person would the technology need to be programmed against for it to be completely ethical and sound and something that the majority of people would agree with? It seems like a 
you know, maybe if, if you're a religious person, maybe Jesus would have to come back and program the AI and then we'd all be better off. It's a weird, it's a weird thing of what would have to happen for technology to truly replace us. And I do wonder if that'll ever happen because then the problems become human problems, mm-hmm. not necessarily technology-based problems. And I don't think we'd ever really be able to solve those. I think this is a very interesting line of discussion because from my experience of, you know, developing transformative tech, um, I've developed blockchain solutions, AI-based solutions, virtual and, and augmented reality and, and many others. Um, the one thing I definitely will accept and fully agree with is every individual has bias. And that's, you know, that's not right. It's not wrong. It is just what it is, right? We are all, we all grew up with uh, experiences in life, with our own cultural experiences, our own kind of uh, individual mindsets and thought processes. And so we have bias. Those biases differ from one group to another, from one individual to another. But, you know, even Jesus has, I'm sure, bias. (laughs) I don't know what they are, but I'm sure (laughs) there is. So I think this, and, you know, if you think about it as well, every culture has a different ethical basis, right? Uh, every religion has a different tolerance to to ethics and to beliefs and so on. So how do you define something in a global technology solution that's supposed to replicate such a complex human uh, community, right? Global human community, because it differs so much. The one thing, and, and here is the kind of argument for diversity. The one thing you can do is ensure that you have a large group of different kinds of people who are building this tech, because we are not aware of our bias until it is shown to us, until we're made aware of it. And we're made aware of it when we experience other cultures, other people. And here I'm not talking about, you know, gender diversity, right? Like more women in tech or something like that. This is diversity of thought. And this comes from having people, people from different cultural backgrounds, people from different age groups, people from different sexual orientation, different parts of the world, coming together to think things through together and test things out together. And this is where our technology industry today is just falling behind. We do not have this diversity of thought and the technology solutions that are coming out are not meeting the needs of a global community, but a subset of that community. And so bias is being built in and as much trading data as we want to offer, ChatGPT, for example, has I think 175 billion parameters built in. and some, you know, I think uh, Facebook um, AI-based systems has like 4 billion data touch points. It's, it's incredible amount of data, but the bias is still built into that data because we don't have enough diversity of thought built in. And so I think there is a, a massive challenge for us to ensure that, um, you know, it, it is such a complex question when we talk about ethics, Right. If you you say to me, some people in the world might say, you know, you you can you can sacrifice two people in order to save ten. I would say I would not sacrifice anyone, and there might be someone else who says, you know, the two that you want to sacrifice are more important because they are younger. So th- this is such a complex question that I don't believe that we could ever replicate the answer in a machine. That that's probably a fair point because, as you said these two people okay well who are they what do they do how old are they what's their position in society or in the world and there's so many consequences I guess of making that decision whether it's right or wrong making the decision is going to be difficult 
and I I wonder what would happen if people started to test it. You know, in the world of like business and companies, and often it's about speed. It's about being the first and taking advantage of their position and all of those kinds of things play into your ability to function as a company that someone somewhere will attempt to replicate it for that purpose only of like, if it goes well, we'll be the first and mm -hmm. therefore we can be the best. And it, it creates this thing where that capitalism may be one of the things, you know, the lead domino that starts everything else and then we'll eventually find something that works. I wonder what would it take for someone to grow a company with tech? Like, what would they need to have as a person? What traits would they need to have? How would they need to think to be able to do this? It seems like a very complicated thing. I mean, if technology came in and took over 90% of the resources, the jobs, the activities, the positions in that company, what then would be left for the person to do? Um, I think this comes back for me. It's a fundamental decision of what is the purpose of a company or an organization in our world? Um, and I, I, I did have a very brief interaction on LinkedIn on this topic uh, a couple of weeks ago where someone had posted that companies exist to create financial outcome. And I believe companies exist to create value. And what that value is, is often misinterpreted. The value, the, the purpose of an organization should be to deliver value to its market, to its the people in the market, right? And you should be contributing something to this kind of greater element of people. Um, and so it's not necessarily about, you know, CSR initiatives or, or environmentally friendly or, or sustainability and things like that. But just fundamentally, no matter what product or service you're offering the market, no matter how you offer that, you could be delivering value through machines or through people, however you do that, there has to be a greater contribution to humanity in terms of what we're doing. Um, and this, I feel most organizations have lost sight of. There, there isn't this fundamental belief or value-based approach. And so this is something I do address in my book, going back to kind of what's your massive transformative purpose as an organization, defining the purpose that people within the organization can believe in and stand by and fall behind and creating value based on the collective value of the individuals in your organization. And the role of a leader within that organization is to empower people, is to drive value creation, is to ensure that there is continued sustainability, a sustainable value that's being created for the longer term. And this is something that I, I see very few examples in the market of companies, particularly in the tech industry. In fact, what we're seeing in recent days is many companies in the tech industry taking 10 steps backwards into kind of going into this more commercially driven um, environment and, you know, kind of less human value based approaches to what they're doing, simply because, you know, with the excuse that we have now economic uncertainty. Uh, we're seeing leadership teams, and I'll be very frank, um, I see quite a lot of Elon Musk's posts on, on Twitter. And, you know, it's just getting from bad to worse, right? It's it's very difficult as innovative and as inspiring as he is in terms of the tech he's created and the disruption he's created in various markets. It's very difficult to fall behind someone who demonstrates poor values. And I'm I'm quite certain there are lots of people who who share this opinion as well. So I do believe that leadership teams need to question themselves in terms of 
what is my role as a leader? How am I serving my organization, its people, and the customer, you know, the general population? How am I serving the market in what I'm doing and the way I'm, I'm kind of approaching business? Um, leadership teams need to look at empathy and vulnerability, right? Are you aware of your leadership styles? Are you aware of your ability to uh, drive and empower people? Um, how can you lead organizations that are, um, if we think about it today, the level of maturity of people, especially the new generation of people who grew up with tech, they're so digitally savvy. How do you lead organizations of intelligent, digitally savvy people? Um, how do you motivate and drive them in the in towards a, a positive direction and positive outcomes? I don't know if many leaders are asking themselves these questions. And if we are shifting towards more of a tech-based organization where you have more systems, digitizations, and machines taking over and uh, producing efficient outcomes, but not being led towards this direction, I think that could get very challenging for us. It must be interesting. It must be concerning sometimes for yourself to see all of this happening. And in some cases, you're actually left with more questions than answers. You think, oh, what about this? And what if this happens? And maybe if this happens, then what next? And you start asking yourself what's next all the time. And I wonder if you've ever had that and followed this train of thought. And do you get to an answer that you're happy with? Are you okay with it? Does it make you uneasy about the future of business when technology does start to scale and take over? I mean, I really hope the conversation hasn't gotten to what if Terminator happens and they take over and everything's obsolete apart from survival. I don't believe that's going to happen, but you never know. And I think that that uncertainty is also playing into it a little bit because we've got financial uncertainty. Some people may be losing their jobs over this. And then all of a sudden companies are going bust because they all come under one banner now because technology can take over all of them. It's good in a way. And I wonder if there's enough benefit to warrant everything that we're discussing. If you think the benefit can be so great that everything else becomes a mute point and we may as well just ride this high wave of prospering while it's there, because it might not be there forever. I, I think the the questions sometimes do outweigh the answers, right? We have more questions than answers. Um, I find that exciting because the tech industry is is dynamic. It's developing. There's so many opportunities and um, exciting things. Even if we talk about Terminator, right? It could be quite exciting to see how that plays out. At the end, people won anyway, so it's it's definitely a good um, good. And if you really think about it, in the Terminator movie, at the end, the human values won. Um, I'd be happy watching it from a pretty far distance. You know, if I can find a nice <laughs> safe spot somewhere, I'm a pretty good people watchers so I'd be happy just to sit and watch with enough popcorn to last the, the length of time but I, I think it, it it's getting to that point where some people are following this train of thought aren't they they're getting all the way to the end of well if things keep progressing how they are progressing will the pros outweigh the cons ultimately and we just have to lean into it because it's going to happen whether we benefit or not you would rather be on the benefiting side you would rather be on the the positive side versus the negative side. I, I would be more concerned about what you said earlier, where there's, you know, always one guy at the end that we have to call up. And if we head into this direction where, you know, technology or, or machinery becomes 
a threat or becomes a danger to humanity or becomes something that is too big for us to control. Uh, who's that guy that we're going to be depending on? Uh, that one guy with all the power and skills? I think that would be an interesting question. Hopefully, it's someone with, uh, you know, good values and and a, a positive outlook. Um, I I do have conversations with other um, tech leaders about you know singularity and how quickly tech is developing, and especially if you see the rate of development in the last decade um, and exponentiate that over the next decade, it could get quite alarming. Uh, for example, I guess last Christmas, no one would have thought that in January and February we'd be talking about, you know, such an advanced system like ChatGPT or generative AI systems being applied so quickly. Um, so it took us by storm and many people were blindsided and that's why it's become such a hype. Um, but I do think that there's a cycle and a system to everything. Uh, I don't believe technology is as advanced as that yet. I still think that they are, at the end of the day, uh, systems that we have to build. And so, at the, you know, they're still kind of the people behind the systems. Um, and there is some amount of control. Um, the question is, who are these people behind the systems and how are we controlling them? It must be concerning for people that have no idea it's happening like as in i i use technology a lot of the time for research purposes and looking at things and you spend often enough using it and you think well i'm, I'm obsolete now like i've just out researched my initial idea someone's already found the answer to it and now i have to find something else it, it's getting to a point where there's going to be a lot of wasted effort for people that use it to realize that other solutions are already there. It almost like it mitigates a lot of it. You know, when you think about being of value and creating something that's important and meaningful and you realize somebody else has done it before you <laughs> because they've already created it, it's out there. So when you start in your bubble, you don't know if it exists yet. You use technology to find it or create it and you realize somebody else has, has beaten you to it. It's going to get to a point where we might actually run out of things to do that we can do as humans without technology helping because they'll know a lot faster than we will they'll learn quicker they'll solve problems that we don't even know that we have and I actually quite like the future of that because I think as long as we can have a handle on it we'll be okay because I think there's been too many Terminator films for us to let it happen too much star wars happening mm -hmm. for us to be like oh well we'll just do it as if we've not had decades of repercussions of it going badly wrong so i wonder if we're conditioning ourselves to be able to cope with it was it you know even back to the future made me think oh i'm dying for a hoverboard and then it never appears and i, I think but i think we're conditioning ourselves at just the right pace so that no matter what happens, we will find a way of navigating it for, for better or for worse. Yeah, uh, and, and I think better Terminator than Alien, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. Considering yeah. recent discussions about, uh, you know, from the US and China. But, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, though, Michael. The key word here is digital literacy. And whatever direction, whatever speed, you know, technology is going to develop in, we as people need to engage and understand. We, as the kind of general public, it doesn't matter if you're in the tech field, in the business field or, or not at all, 
there's a need to understand technology. There's an information is democratized today. It's so much, uh, there's so much out there and it's very accessible. So there's nothing stopping individuals from learning more about what's developing and how it's developing. And if I give you an example, when I learned um, SQL coding in the 90s, it was from scratch. It was, you know, you had to learn it the painful way, <laughs> you know. And today there is a platform, an AI-based platform, where you type in text commands and it converts it immediately to SQL statements. So this is, for me, an amazing outcome. You know, there's so much that people can learn and develop in such a quick way. Um, and digital literacy is important, whether you're a person, you know, an individual or even a parent, just understanding how your kids are using tech and the dangers that exist with that in terms of, you know, privacy and data data sharing and, you know, uh, predatory behavior online and things like that. It's so important to be up to speed on these um, these things. And so um, I encourage, you know, everyone to kind of take the effort to go and learn a little bit more about what is happening out there and how technology is developing. I found it actually online once there was something where someone used it chat gdp that's the one yeah they they used that for their homework and the teacher knew about it and ran it through a system that basically pulled them on plagiarizing and things like that so I, i think having the ability to monitor and observe step in when needed is going to be enough for us to stay safe with it like if you think about if technology gets to a point where it can start to create itself and start to fix itself and improve itself, it becomes this self-confirming, creating system, we're still going to be governed by our own mental faculties. Like if we start mm-hmm. to get afraid of it, we will want to put some reins over this thing. We'll find a way of slowing it down because we can't cope as people. And I wonder if that's going to be the only way. You know, There's a balancing act to that, I think, um, because too much regulation stifles innovation. And so we need to find the right balance of understanding and regulating and governing the technology and its development without stopping for the innovation that could be, you know, a positive transformation for for us as as people. And I think this this is quite an important element around uh, you said, you know, we find a way to kind of govern and it could be, we're talking a lot about technology advancing to a level that it could potentially be a threat. This may be something that we should be concerned about in the future, perhaps in the in the mid or longer term. What I'm more concerned about today is how people are using technology for negative outcomes, right? They, it, they, it can, it has the ability to make uh, some people, now if we talk about the dark net and we talk about, um, how technology is being applied. If we talk about drone technology being applied for um, uh, in in wars and things like that, there's lots of things that people are using tech for that is of immediate danger to us today, and that's not governed yet to it to the, the right extent. So, where do you see the positive idea of it coming from? Because if you think about drone technology, I've got photographers that use it to take all kinds of fascinating videos and pictures and you get angles that you would just not get as a person it's impossible to get that angle because you can fly a drone there and get it just perfect before you you record or take the pictures that kind of thing and yet the same tool is being used in wars 
and dropping bombs and some of the material might either be undetectable by radar because I'm aware that that exists already. They're just building drones out of it now. And it it's one of those situations where we start building the tools that have multiple purposes and we use it for every purpose that it could be used for. You can't just get a drone and think, right, I know, we'll just use that to take amazing videos of mountains, let's say, making it up. But then it's like, okay, why can't we just pick a tool that does a job and we don't think of what else it could be used for? Like we don't take that and think, right, well, I'm going to use that and drop bombs on this country or person or building or whatever it is. Why do we have these thought processes of it can be used for good things, it can be used for bad things, but why do we use it for the bad things? I, it, for me, this comes back to the topic of the purpose, right? Because um, the driving factor here is financial, financial and commercial outcomes. Um, and when I see, you know, and I, I've seen startups uh, focused on developing drone technology, for example, taking your example earlier, drone technology that could be used to, um, you know, for, for safety, going into areas that are unsafe for people to go in. Uh, you know, using it for security checks of air, aircraft so that people don't have to, to do the traditional checks where they need to climb over the aircrafts. So there, there are lots of, of situations where they are being used in a very positive way. But on the other hand, the place where you really can, can get a quick return on your investment for drone technology is around the currently negative use. I, I call it negative. Some people might not agree. My husband's, uh, you know, an ex-military guy, so he would say, oh, this is, you know, not necessarily negative to use drones in, in the military. So I think there's, you know, again, differing opinions on this. But the driving factor is if you create, uh, I recently saw a news uh, report from Israel where drone technology is currently being utilized for single man combat, right? So it's able to fly into small areas and shoot individuals. Um, this is a game changer in war zones, right? So, but it also is very commercially driven. This is an outcome that could be very um, commercially powerful for whichever company that's building this technology. It's not a question of, um, you know, we need to do good with the tech. It's more a question of uh, where can I get the fastest return? This is my, my view on the topic. Um, I do believe, though, there are people out there who, truly believe that creating drone technology for military purposes is for protection of society and people. Um, you know, there, there are differing opinions. We come back again to kind of the, the differing cultural and ethical values, right? It's a spectrum. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a strange one because if you think of robots replacing people, drones replacing people, war's going to feel very much like a video game. Like you've got drones coming in, shooting robots. Why, why have a war like that where nothing really happens? It's all robots fighting robots. And it's like, well, it's a bit strange to, to watch that, you know, when we used to having armies and tanks being, you know, one of the more powerful things that we have on the ground. And now all of a sudden... You've got politicians winning arguments by sending their robots in to kill each other. It it just seems weird. That would be a scenario that would scare me, um, I would say. If you imagine, you know, wars being fought like video games, uh, it takes away a certain level of humanity. You know, there's almost a filter in terms of the impact that you would feel. 
So the damage that could be done would be much higher as well. Um, and so this would this would be a scenario, and it's not a very unlikely scenario, though, Michael. I think this could be a very likely midterm future outcome with the tech that we're seeing. I just picture it all a bit strange. And it's making me think, what would we actually value if we follow this train of thought? Like, where would it go? Like, you've got all these humans that are trying to be more compassionate, they're trying to be more forward-thinking, they're trying to be more creative. Meanwhile, they've got robots ending fights caused by politicians that win popular popularity contests. And it, it's getting to a point where the whole thing is a bit like a video game. It's just becoming a game. It's not really becoming real, you know? Like, if you have robots killing robots, what happens? Why can't we just collectively agree to disagree and move on? And it, it, it's it's proving to be a bit strange, including the whole social media of it all, where you've got AI creating accounts now, where you've got social media influencers that have millions of followers that don't exist. They're just pictures and videos created by technology. And what are we actually going to value at that point? If everything's robots or computer generated, what's next? Where would we go for the important things, the things that matter, the things that we actually want. If if the whole thing is like in this bubble of nothing really changes or nothing really happens, what's after that? Like where do I we think go? You're you're referring to an environment where we're losing our authenticity as human beings, right? Um, because we are utilizing technology to an extent where we not only lose control, but we might lose ourselves in that process. So there's a uh, really, really interesting site called uh, Eleven Labs that allows us to replicate uh, the voice of anyone, right? So we have to be so careful today. I mean, you're, you're recording a podcast. I'm recording many podcast interviews as well. My voice is out there. Your voice is out there. People could very quickly replicate our voices. So that has an impact not just on cybersecurity and data protection, you know, and biometrics uh, security and so on. But someone could very easily take our image, replicate our voice, create an alternative version of us, identity theft, and pretty much just uh, utilize that however they, they would like. And today, there's very little regulation around that. So I was quite surprised when I saw how much Eleven Labs can replicate. Um, and so this is this is content that's kind of or you know platforms that are out there easily accessible, affordable, um, and you know I, I would be surprised if they haven't already been used in the wrong way in you know certain spaces. And so what I think is very necessary is for us to ensure that we maintain our authenticity to a certain extent as as human beings, and to limit how much of this can be replicated. How much of us can be replicated? How much of our thought processes? How much of our capabilities? Um, certain industries might have, uh, you know, high regulation. We talk a lot about financial services being highly regulated. Well, these days that's also in question. <laughs> but um, there's there's also uh, pharmaceutical industries and things like that. I do believe that there are certain there's needs to be a certain restriction or regulation around some of these technologies being developed, and not necessarily control it that we stop innovation, but control it to extent that we monitor the development very closely and ensure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands or go in the wrong direction. Um, there, there are very, very powerful kind of uh, robots being developed as well, if you think about um, um, Boston Labs and so on. 
we're seeing the capabilities developing in such a massive way. It's not so far away from thinking about these robots then fighting our wars for us, if it goes in that direction. Um, so we have to watch this space closely. I mean, replicating voices must be a bit strange. And I mean, if it's accurate, I, mean, I, I picture my job as a podcaster being almost redundant if I can just type a few words and a computer or AI will generate my voice for, for that. It must be a constant battle with the idea of trying to do the right things or the best possible things with the technology without also seeing the nefarious purposes that can be used. It can be used for this. It can be used for that. What's stopping things like that happening? If you think of business and companies and corporations, they're doing some under the table things already. It's happening now with the technology that's available. They will see it as a benefit, no matter what it is. If you think about, you know, things happening now that we would probably not like if we knew they were going on. That's happening with like old technology. I say that <laughs> in inverted commas. But what about the new technology? What will it enable them to do and in some ways get away with because the benefits far outweigh the cons of this? Where does it go business-wise? Where do technologists and business innovators converge and meet and get together and think, you know what, we should probably not use this for these reasons mm -hmm. in this way because of the potential risks or the inhumaneness of it all. But then is that not part of why we create it to take humans out of it because machines and technology can do it better, faster, more economically sound? Where, where do you see it all going it seems like such a complicated question but we need a way of being able to stop the risks and the negative consequences and the repercussions because if you think of what's happening now if it gets worse when technology progresses we're not really going to be able to stop it and essentially we're just going to get more of the same i think the the question doesn't just relate to technology though uh, Michael, there is a, um, it's an age old issue in the business world, right? If you take the pharma industry, right? Um, things that happened maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, how ethical were they in terms of drug development, in terms of, um, you know, animal trials, in terms of human trials and, and things like that, or animal testing, human trials. So there's, there's a, a fine ethical line, which every organization kind of sets for themselves and it may or may not be visible to us. Um, there's been also, if you, if you kind of read of the history of tobacco, how the tobacco industry lobbied um, against uh, research around lung cancer, right? There was a certain time in the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, when the lobbyists were so powerful in that sense that they created a false understanding about cancer research. Uh, that it wasn't true, that it wasn't based on on facts. And so there, there are always these cycles in, in industries that, um, you know, that propagate decisions around uh, positive and negative outcomes and these ethical lines that we can and cannot cross. We see this in financial services as well. Um, Credit Suisse is a great example. 15 years ago, one of the most powerful 
uh, respected banks, ten, even 10 years ago, even five years ago. Today, they have been bought over by their major competitor, right? This is a major, major collapse. The key issue there was they crossed certain ethical lines, which they shouldn't have. Um, and we're seeing that across many different uh, companies as well. So it's not necessarily just to do with the tech industry. I think that these questions are existing in the market. There are companies that are creating tech solutions, utilizing tech solution, solutions that they may or may not, um, you know, uh, they should or should not, may or may not be doing. Um, and there are impacts on people as well. The thing is, there are a couple of elements if we talk purely about businesses, what makes a company or a product of a company successful? It is really to have value proposition, right? A reason why it's created and how it's being used, a market, people who want to buy that service or product, and to really have that capability around creating a sustainable business value or business model around it. So something that's going to continuously generate revenue over a period of time. I think that to a certain extent will regulate how much companies pursue in terms of the tech they're developing. Uh, a good example of this is blockchain technology. I believe it's hugely transformative. Um, it's going to redefine the way companies are set up, built, supply chains being managed, range of different impacts, range of different use cases available, but it's not fully adopted yet in the market. It's been around for you know uh, almost 15 years now, but it hasn't been adopted. Although the value is there, companies haven't been able to derive value from it. Um, and so there, there are many technologies like this where it, it hasn't hit that spot for companies where they can generate value from it. And so they haven't been able to pick up on it. And this will be one element that kind of self-regulates what companies do with tech. Um, the other element is always going to be around um, how quickly the tech can be adopted by people, how much regulators are going to step in in terms of the development of those tech. Obviously, if the, it hits the radar of regulators in terms of this could be potentially dangerous, they do keep an eye on it and monitor it fairly closely. Uh, and then you have a key element, which are industry experts. People like myself, you know, people in the industry who know the potential dangers, know the potential outcomes, and, you know, in today's world, we are fairly well connected as well. You know, it's fairly easy to connect with influencers and with thought leaders, people who understand those impacts. And we tend to also you know, regulate the industry to a certain extent by creating visibility to what's being done. And I think this is something that, you know, uh, does contribute to this regulation as well. This is probably one of the only times when self-regulation is going to be spoken about in a good light. Um, the way social media is going now is, oh, self-censorship, as well, you probably should, because it's a, it's a version of self-governance, it's a version of self-morality and feeling good about the way that you spend your time. I do have a question about transparency and balancing it with what actually happens with then stretching the amount that you spend. So you've got companies that are pushing every pound, every dollar, every yen just make up another currency while we're here and being able to do that may involve using technology and then on the flip side the pr element of not telling people that you use said technology the benefits are gonna be quite apparent why they're doing that you know it comes across in a positive way 
behind closed doors. They're doing things in a way that they're not telling us. They're not telling us they're doing it. Do you see that happening? Do you see that continuing? Or do you think the public will demand it and companies will feel obligated to share it? I have a bit of a weird view on it and I don't think they will. I don't think they will actually tell everybody everything that they're doing with their time. But some companies do it and do good things. So this isn't just about negativity. This is about cost of doing business some people will do things to save money some people will do nice things to save money like renewable energy not everyone shouts about their renewable energy policies Mm and and all those things and yet they still do it so i can see this happening in a good way and a bad way and yet the communication is still not where it could be in terms of you know everyone screaming about how much charity work they do but don't tell everyone they have solar panels and all of their company venues and stuff like that it's a weird thing that i'm bringing up because i see it happening all the time where whether it's virtue signaling whether it's telling somebody 90 percent of the truth and withholding the extra 10 percent, it's happening all the time and it's happening at a personal level and a company level and a small business level it's happening throughout everything it's a regular thing how do you see that playing out do you think people will actually be able to have a say or do you think companies will sit in their ivory towers magic castles and think we know what even though they're demanding it we can't really afford to tell them because how it will affect their bottom line or profit margins or whatever the case is I, i think that that scenario will always exist where companies will feel like they would need to hide or would need to not share it's more likely that you know what we see from the external is probably 10 to 20 percent of what the actual realities are um what is historically true though and we've seen this time and time again um if it is something really negative there's always going to be a human element that breaks the silence right whistleblowers and things like that we've seen this across the board for many many industries we've seen it with social media channels as well um so that that there is a you know a very interesting kind of cycle that we go through uh in an organization and what we've seen as well is companies will tend to try and utilize these technologies for you know their commercial benefit um and and you know efficiencies advantages and things like that but at the end of the day um there there will be a need to share this information whatever the scenario is and somehow you know you can't kind of keep the truth hidden forever uh so i i've seen this cycle in many industries and we've seen this happen some might take longer to kind of produce the truth and the outcome. Some might take a shorter time span, but somehow it always gets out if it is negative. Um, if it is positive as well, I think there, there, there is an impact of, for example, companies that are using technology for uh, sustainability values and, and all of this, sharing that information could actually encourage other organizations and business leaders to follow suit. So what is the purpose of keeping that information hidden as well? I think this is this is an interesting concept. Maybe it's for competitive advantage, whatever that is. But um, this is something I, I do cover in, in the book as well, Michael. I'm a big believer in kind of creating an ecosystem for business. No organization is going to be successful as an individual organization in the future. Uh, companies need to start thinking about building their ecosystem of players. And this includes in your internal ecosystem, um, you know, leadership teams, owners of organizations, board members, and your employees. 
and external to the organization, the ecosystem includes your customers, but also service providers, tech developers, collaborators, you know, uh, education institutions. So building this kind of ecosystem that works together to create value in the market is going to be so critical for organizations. And when you think about collaboration in an ecosystem, information rarely finds it possible to keep hidden, basically, right? We find it uh, difficult to keep information hidden. And I think this is where the transparency comes in. I believe in transparency. I think organizations have still not achieved the level of transparency that we're comfortable with, that we need to have. Very, very simple example is in equal pay, for example. Right? In, in uh, Europe, very few countries have applied equal pay, um, um, basically reporting the, the pay scales and so on. So I think there's there's a lot that can be done, a lot of uh, value to transparency, which we haven't tapped into yet. I wonder if that's another string to the bow of human behavior shifting as a result of technology and transparency if you can imagine having to report everything i predict nefarious purposes and negative consequences going down if they have to report it if there's some kind of regulatory authority that will force people to report absolutely everything things won't go well if your pay scales aren't right or you're burning coal still mm-hmm. if everyone else is electric. So it it's, it's going to happen, I guess, as a consequence of being transparent. I mean, everything from like, um, if you think about going shopping for your groceries or your, your weekly shop, if you do one, that kind of thing. And every item in the shop will have how much it costs to get it to you and then how much they sell it for. Mm-hmm. And, and if the discrepancy is too big, probably won't buy it so that that's something that will cause companies to naturally adjust whether they spend less to get it to you which would then drive the cost down or maybe they'll think well that's unethical to charge five or ten times how much it would cost to get it to you i'm going to shop somewhere else it's going to naturally cause a shift in in behavior just by being transparent bit of a weird example i get that but it's i think that that that's something that will naturally cause us to to shift it will cause us to adjust our behavior based on the level of information that's being shared and then eventually companies will shift if it if it gets to critical mass whereby there's enough people Mm -hmm. they're changing their behavior that will then shift a company's behavior and a business's behavior i'm not so sure it will happen quickly enough at a scale enough that it will cause a big shift like when um I, i had a conversation with someone the other week and they're kind of obsessed with um, the beauty standards for women and the fact that magazines still plaster it all over the place. And I said, well, they probably realized that it worked and they've not had anything happen drastic enough that's caused them to change. People are still buying the magazines regardless. So unless people are prepared to shift their behavior at a big enough scale where the companies have to take notice, have to listen because it's affecting their sales or their satisfaction of the readers or whatever they, they measure their performance on, that will then cause them to naturally shift. So the fact that they are not doing that is telling you that it's still happening on mass, that that's what people value. That's mm-hmm. whether guys or girls value the same thing. That's why they keep doing it. 
though I wonder at what point will it get to that critical mass where the individual person changes their behavior that then gets to a scale that affects a company's outcomes in a way a company mm-hmm. has to start governing whether it's positive or negative I wonder what it's going to take for that to happen I, I think you know just going back to what you said earlier around transparency um, transparency has to come with authenticity and vulnerability so if an organization wants to be transparent about using coal or you know its poor sustainability uh, approaches or unequal pay in its organization, it has to come with a communication that they, you know, in an authentic way, understand that this is an issue, recognize that something has to change and what they're going to change about it. Otherwise, there's no real point in the transparency, right? Because that means that nothing's going to change. Um, and and I, I do see organizations, you know, you talked about uh, the beauty standards in industries and so on. Probably about 10 years ago, Victoria's Secret would have been the beauty standard, right? As a brand would have been the beauty standard. Today, that has shifted. And this was triggered by, it was a slow change over time, but it was triggered by individuals and these individuals shifting an entire industry, looking at more uh, body positive, inclusive behaviors or um, you know demanding those values in organizations. Such an incredibly powerful brand had to shift the way it approached um, you know, women's beauty standards. We see this with companies like Dove and so on. There, there are many companies that started to look at itself and say, for current times, this doesn't work anymore. We are losing customers. And there are a couple of things that shift an organization's behavior. One is the people in the organization, the leadership teams, the mindsets shift. So the company will shift. Um, and these behaviors will shift because, you know, there is a, a shift in values. There is a shift in leadership teams, people changing, new generations of people coming in. But there's also an external demand. If you have your customer base and our customer base is shifting today, we are more transparent. We are more connected. We are more engaged. We want to be part of building uh, solutions, products and services that meet our needs and our needs as individuals. And it shouldn't matter if I'm overweight or underweight. It shouldn't matter because I want your product and you should build something that fits me, right? So these demands are coming in from the external as well. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. Plenty of insights as well. I wonder if people wanted to find out more about you, where can they go? First of all, thank you for having me. It was a wonderful conversation. Um, if um, people want to find out more about myself, they can go to my website, kamalishlardi.com, as well as LinkedIn um, and Twitter. I'm quite active online. And if you want to find out more about my company, lardinpartner.com is the website. And the book is available on Amazon as well as Wiley and pretty much any bookstores at the moment. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me. It's been great, and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks very much. Thank you so much.